surrounding area of Austin. Pause, 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 pause. Are you the inventor of that? I mean, I've never heard that of in any other state I've ever been in. I'm Alex Del Sordo with the Rowers Choice Network, and this is season three, episode lucky number nine. And I have someone I've never met before, digitally I have. I have actually never heard of this person up until a couple weeks ago when we suggested out to the world of rowing, who should we interview to get to know more? And she came top of the list. And here I have what I think is probably the second best name we have ever interviewed, Felicia Thrash. I feel like I'm a rock star. I feel like I'm a skateboarder, but I have someone who knows rowing, who knows a lot about rowing. We're gonna learn all about her past and the future where she's headed in rowing. Felicia, thank you for being part of the podcast today. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm really excited to have this opportunity to talk to you today. I love it. And I just wanna hear all about you. That's the whole point of this thing. We're just gonna learn about you. Now, Felicia, I ask the same question every single time and it's very simple. Where were you, how old were you when you first started rowing? Yeah, um, I was actually 18. I I grew up in a, a small area in Texas um, that didn't have rowing. And so when I went to the University of Texas, I had always been super active in high school with track and field and all kinds of things. And um, I didn't have anything when I went to UT and I just picked up a flyer on campus and went to the orientation. Um, and uh, I remember my my first day of orientation, I was just so excited. I had gotten all of the friends on my floor that I lived in the dorms with uh, to go with me. I didn't want to be by myself. And it was just like, I remember being super giddy, sitting in the boat and taking my first stroke while they just you know, had the boat uh, on the dock. And it was so exciting. <laughs> and then of course, the first day of the actual tryouts when I went in, um, they explained what the coxswain was and that they were 110 pounds, which was exactly what it was at the time. So I was destined to be a coxswain and, and didn't actually sit in the rowing seat for a while after that. Felicia, you're super giddy. Uh, you jump in a boat. You're 18 years old, which is great because I actually, I think we've interviewed hundreds of people. And I think the best ones are always the ones that didn't start in high school. You know, like they're a little bit older, they're starting later. So first of all, who was your coach at the time? I'm really, really interested to know who your coach was that gave you that great experience. Yeah, so um, I was on the, the men's club team. Um, it was men and women um, then, uh, but um, I want to say, let's see. So uh, Will Wynn was my novice coach, but uh, Jeff Mork was the uh, coach at the time, the head coach of the program. Um, and I know he's over at uh, UVA as a rigger right now. Wow. Wow. So a coxswain. You, you, you probably had never heard of that that word before leading up to it. What was that? What, I mean, what was, how hard of a decision was that for you to make? Aside from the weight and your size, like a coxswain, you're just sitting in a boat steering. Was that a challenge for you? Was that difficult? Not, not really. I, uh, you know, the first day of tryouts, we, we actually just went for a run and our coach um, had pointed out, um, you know, the varsity boats that were going by, <clears throat> excuse me, going by and um, the, you know, what each seat was. And, and that's when they explained what the coxswain was to me. And I, you know, looked around and saw all these other people that were way taller and uh, huge <laughs> compared to myself. So I was like, okay, well, that's, that's kind of like a natural position for me. I'll, I'll take it. Um, and uh, and I, I just went with it. I, 
I never really went back and thought, you know, it would be a lot more fun to be a rower, you know, but um, I was probably the only novice toxin in my class that didn't actually run into anything. Um, so I think that that just kind of gave me a natural selection for being the, the, the first toxin in my class this year. Um, so that was, that was fun. Now, were you naturally like a leader at a younger age? Because, you know, the, the most successful coxswains in our sport are usually type A, grab the world by, by the throat, like, I, and I got this. I mean, was that your natural inclination growing up? Um, I, I wouldn't say early on, but um, definitely more like once I got into high school, um, I was, uh, you know, graduating out of high school, I was like president of band and um, I was uh, a leader with my track and field team and um, so I yeah I, I just kind of gravitated it I towards it probably more around 15 16 and then once I was started to give you know get leadership roles just kind of grow into it and decide that I liked to be the person that people could go to um, as a resource you know so that that I realized that pretty early on. So I think that's why I kind of gravitated towards uh, being a coxswain as well, like in terms of like, yeah. So I loved it. I love when you said the president of band. I was a <laughs> player. I, I tried the violin for a while. I did it from third grade all the way until an adult. Like, what did you play? What was your, what was your instrument? Yeah, I started in the band in uh, the fifth grade, I think. Yeah. And I started with the alto saxophone. And then, um, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, me too, yes. Yeah, my mom played saxophone, um, so it was easy. Oh, this is great, here, do this. Um, so I started with the alto, and then in the seventh grade, I wanted to differentiate myself because there were so many alto saxophones, but um, so then I switched to the tenor saxophone and I stuck with that um, throughout, yeah. <laughs> I love it, this is awesome, I, you're so funny. Wow, I knew that we had a connection. I knew it. I knew there was something that we could connect with. I was an alto saxophone player. I went right into the tenor saxophone in the jazz band. And then in senior year of high school, no, junior year of high school, the, the band director, uh, Mr. Shields, said, you should be the baritone sax player. Like, we need someone good. We know, you can, we know you can play. And I jumped in and I finished my high school career in the baritone sax. And my gosh, that was fun. Oh, I love it. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah, the the baritone saxophone players we always had were, um, you know, like the six foot tall dudes. So, <laughs> you know, here I was at the time, you know, I, I think I weighed 80 pounds in the eighth grade playing the tenor saxophone. So I think that was, that was big enough for me. <laughs> the, it's so funny. The most kick ass woman in band class in eighth grade was Alicia Valente, shout out Alicia Valente. And she played the tenor sax and she was exactly like you. I mean, this, <laughs> this little tiny 80, 90 pound girl and we got along wonderfully. Anyway, that's awesome. So I, I circled something else. You said you liked being the go-to resource. That is so, so, so important. And then we're gonna get into that a little bit later, but tell me what happens after UT. What do you do? Like, where do you go from there? Yeah, so I actually, um, I started working at the Texas Rowing Center when I was, um, let's see, the summer coming out of my sophomore year was the first summer that I stayed in Austin. Um, I didn't go back home. And so I started, um, I one of, one of the varsity coxswains had already worked at the Texas Rowing Center. 
And she said, oh, I've got a great job for you. Um, you literally just call members up off of, <laughs> off of the membership roster for the doc and say, I'm going to go out in the floor today or tomorrow or this day. And do you want to go out and just build a boat? So that was my job that summer was literally just calling random people off of the membership roster and getting them to go out in the team boats, um, which at the time we only we only owned one Cox boat, um, which was a Cox quad. Uh, so we just we just went out in that whenever I, I formed a lineup. So um, after I grad, I, I obviously stuck around with the Texas Rowing Center. Um, and so after I graduated, I I spent a year um, I, 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 I coached uh, the novice women for Texas crew for the first year out of college um, and while also working for a criminal defense attorney, <laughs> which is super interesting. So I would uh, go um, have crew practice, you know, 5 a.m. Coach, coach there, go right into my office clothes and be an office manager at a criminal defense attorney, attorney's office for all day. And then I would go back to uh, TRC and then coach the junior. So I had a really long like 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, day, every day for the first year. And then um, I decided the criminal defense attorney, while it was interesting, was not the route that I wanted to go. So I became a bagger cashier at Whole Foods. I stuck <laughs> with uh, coaching uh, the juniors at TRC. So, um, and then I just moved up the ranks at Whole Foods and now I'm a um, senior executive admin for the CEO at Whole Foods and still coach. Uh, you're the senior admin for the COO or CEO? The of CEO. <laughs> okay, so for those, for those, for those, for those not watching but listening, there is an audible pause here because I have been floored. I am floored. There's, a, I have a million thoughts in my head right now running through my head, Felicia. Um, this is very interesting. So, you're you are a force to be reckoned with in the sport of rowing in Texas, but it's your side hustle. It's your passion. It's your thing that you do when you're a senior admin with the CEO of Whole Foods, not like Whole Foods, like not just some little shop down the street, like Whole Foods. All right. So you're new to the sport of rowing. You're 18 years old. Fast forward four or five years later, and you're dedicating yourself from 5 a.m. all the way till 7 p.m., 8 p.m. What did what happened to you with rowing? Like what, what made you want to do this for what seems to be the rest of your life? Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know that I could have like pinpointed at the time or knew at the moment that I would still be here today, even, you know, coaching for the same program, but, um, yeah, just liking it, you know, and, and as you get older, time goes by a lot faster. So, um, it just really escaped me, but, it just, the, the kids in the program, you know, I, I had a, a rough first couple of years um, just with some changes. So I had, I started the, the juniors program at TRC with Matt Nixon, the owner. Um, we started with like six kids um, the first fall. And so that was coming out of that summer where I was just calling membership and, and coxing this cox squad. Um, but we started a juniors program that fall with like six kids, two who were siblings. And we had a different coach um, that actually coached the kids on the water because I was I was still at UT, so I was I was just coxing these kids in this cox quad for the juniors practice while the coach coached. 
And then um, he ended up moving to, to Houston. So then the next spring, Matt said, hey, I, you've been with the program. I want you to take over the program. And I said, okay, well, that's, that's great. He said, by the way, we're, we're at like 80 kids now signed up. Um, so hire all your friends. So then I hired all of my crew teammates um, to be my assistant coaches. And we started the um, like a, a real recreational program with the juniors. And then the next year or two um, started competitive. So I started coaching, you know, just like kids that never had any idea what rowing was and then moved over to the novice men's position coaching once we were able to hire um, more experienced and seasoned coaches to, to coach more of a varsity. And, um, and then once we got big enough to actually split up the, the girls' squads, um, Matt asked me to coach the, the varsity women. And so that was the first time I was a really dedicated like female like coaching the women and I've stuck with it ever since. Um, but yeah, I think that after kind of getting like in the earlier years when I didn't really know what I was doing, neither did the kids and we just had a really great time and it was super fun. But then once I started, co you know, coaching the varsity women where things got a little more serious, these kids actually wanted to row in college. These kids, you know, wanted to go to nationals. They had a higher drive. They were more of, you know, going the route of being an elite athlete. They had a lot more um, natural gift of athleticism and skill and, and, and they wanted to dedicate this crazy amount of time. And, you know, that was always the kind of person I felt I was. So I really wanted to be connected with the kids that wanted to be at the higher level. Um, and then just being a part of growing this, this program has been um, huge, you know, going from six or eight kids back in the fall of 2003 or uh, yeah, 2003 to now we have 200 kids, you know? So it's just, it's I was like impacting, you know, I feel like I, I make an impact on a number of kids. So it just feels special to me and it's just not really something I ever thought I wouldn't do, so. Uh, so while we're talking, I write a lot of questions and I'm, I'm like trying to figure out where I go from here because this is a fascinating story that I don't think a lot of people know, right? And it's fascinating to go from six to 200. You know, it, there is no overnight success and it took you 20 years to get there. But I guess my first question is, where did you find your education to improve your coaching, right? You're, 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 you don't know much about the sport in 2003, let's be honest, you know, you're fairly new to it. And like you said, you're just, you're just in it to have a great time. But then in the course of 20 years, I know how difficult it is to coach. I know how difficult it is to find education in our sport. Where did you go? What were your resources? How did you develop and improve your coaching style? Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, like as a coxswain, I think that it, as long as you're able to multitask um, with your responsibilities, but then also absorb what the coach is, not just telling the athletes, but how they're making their changes and you can and you can put those two the visual along with what they're saying um, is, I think that that was um, the first step. Um, I, I didn't, while my novice coach was a coxswain, a former coxswain himself, my, my varsity coach didn't really, you know, dedicate time to the, um, as much time to the coxswains as the, the rowers, which is pretty standard. Um, so I just took it upon myself to start to record myself. You know, I thought I was some like, um, I, I was like, I'm going to record myself. Nobody's ever done that before. And this is how I'm going to look, you know, <laughs> I thought I was being super unique with this. Um, but of course it ends up, everybody does that. Um, <laughs> I didn't know. Um, so 
just in doing that, I was kind of helping myself educate myself, but then um, Jeff Moore and, um, and a lot of the coaches with Texas crew, uh, he was super helpful in just teaching me rigging, you know, some little, some little basics, um, that I could, I could just take and, and grow from, um, and then just kind of Googling, you know, um, to be honest, when I was in college, Facebook had just become a thing. I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but, um, you know, you actually had to be in college to be on Facebook and, you had to be invited to Google to have a Gmail account, <laughs> things like that. So um, it, there weren't a ton of resources online yet. It just kind of came about maybe um, more after I graduated um, college. But I didn't, you know, I, I think what I learned um, and what I can maybe pass along to, to younger coaches that that might find themselves in a similar route is I, I, I. I'm probably loyal to a fault, you know, like I didn't want to explore outside of my bubble for a long time, only because I, I felt like if I did something outside, it, it would be viewed as I didn't have, um, you know, what it took to stay around or I didn't want to, you know, invest in. So I, I didn't look at it the right way. So when opportunities came about to go and, um, you know, like, Cox at Penn AC or going to this or change programs or I didn't I didn't want to explore those avenues at all and I think that that um, caused me to have to like uh, be self-educated a lot more than I really needed to so um, I any of my regrets I wish I had gone out more outside of my bubble earlier on and that would have helped further my education so I would say probably only in the last seven or eight years that I dabbled more and, um, you know, I became level two, I think like six or eight years ago with US rowing and, and that was super helpful. And I remember um, Dave O'Neill being there and doing a demo on the ERG and, and just changing the way that I thought about like how to communicate, you know, certain, instead of saying finish, you know, it's the release, like just really basic, simple things. And I, I didn't really, think about that. Um, and so I think that opened the door a lot more just exploring and then going, starting to go to US rowing conventions and meeting more coaches. And again, it, it was all about like getting outside of my bubble and especially out of the central region. Um, I, I think that I, I made a, I've made a lot of friends with coaches inside of our region. So, you know, we might go grab a drink or, or hang out and, and share some, some info and Things like that at times but it it's really hard to start to earn that trust within the, your own region of coaches because they're also competitive against each other that it it makes it difficult when you're just trying to learn you're not trying to steal their secrets or their attributes or anything like that you're just trying to help yourself um and then in turn you know be able to pass on that knowledge to somebody else but um yeah so i i've just made a point of trying to continue with that i you know riding in the launches with more Coaches, we've been super fortunate with having um, a lot of the elite athletes training in Austin in the last five or six years. So um, riding in the, in the launch with the coaches um, that come down and do the training with those athletes, um, you know, and then just anytime I have a recruiter in the launch with me, picking their brain about different things. Um, and uh, and then of course they did the, the level three um, coaching with US Rowing last fall. So, and that was, Probably a longer answer than you were looking for, but <laughs> I love the answer because it, it 
I think I think I think selfishly, I think a lot of people do listen to this. I think and they and what they're doing is they gather a little bit of what um just little little nippets of what you're saying. And I wrote down a bunch of things. And we're we're trying to help young coaches build a playbook on success. And one thing I I, I wrote down is um part-time growth. It's just taking you a long time to get there. And, and, and that's one thing that younger generations don't understand is that it takes 10 years. It takes 15 years. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, I do like that you've learned that there's a bigger world out, outside of Texas and that you've got to find it. And that's how you actually improve your coaching. So when I was in high school, this is 2000s, early 2000s. So we're similar in age. Like I Facebook came out when I was in college and it blew my mind. I mean, it was so cool. Uh, my girlfriend at the time actually built my profile. I'll never forget it. Uh, I had, she had access to my Facebook. It was really weird. Um, but <laughs> in, in the course of all this time, I didn't think Texas was fast at all. You know, like I knew nothing about Texas. People would say, oh, Texas. And, and you'd laugh and say, like, well, they just play football down there. They don't actually row. But to get 200 kids at your program over a period of time is pretty impressive. What do you think has been the reason for the growth in Texas? Because it, it's blowing up like the Woodlands, you guys, uh, White Rock, you know, Dallas United, like it's a growing force and there's a lot of speed. What do you think's happened in the last 20 years there? Yeah, I think um, it's kind of a combination of factors. Um, I know with my, my program in particular, it was building, like just starting to find success and then um, just getting that message out there that you can row in college. Um, hey, we have a state championship. Let's go race at the state. You can be a state champion, you know, with the Texas Rowing Center. Let's go be a regional champion and then go to nationals and it's gonna open all these doors for you. Um, but it's also, you know, we became off-campus PE providers and a lot of kids just get started recreationally because they want their PE credits through their school and they're going to come and row instead of, you know, play dodgeball or kickball or whatever it is that um, they do in PE class these days. Um, so that was a, a big boost. And I think one of the original boosts to the program. And I think that that really caught on a lot. I don't, I really don't know um, how that works outside of the state of Texas. But I think I'm going to ask about that because I, I have like, you blew my mind again, because like, <laughs> what a brilliant thing. Like you can get eighth grade and seventh grade and sixth grade kids to have a PE course or even high school. Are you the inventor of that? I mean, I've never heard that of in any other state I've ever been in. Yeah. I, I mean, we definitely aren't. Um, the, um, the school district came up with that um, and they, they offer it with, um, karate or club swim, you know, there's a ton of different club programs in the Austin area that they, they submit an application with the um, school district and they become an off-campus PE provider. Of course, there's, there's a lot of um, requirements, which are pretty standard these days with being a, a, a coach anyways, you know, background checks and CPR certifications and, and things like that. But um, we're like, we're a off-campus PE provider now for every single school district in our surrounding area of Austin. Pause, 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 pause. Okay, what, what, what are the requirements for an off-campus PE? When do you have these athletes rowing? This, I, you gotta give me the details. I gotta spread it. I gotta be the Pied Piper here. Okay, great. <laughs> what is it, how do you yeah. do it? 
Yeah, so each each school district is a little different, um, but AISD is the one that we work with more, you know, the closest. Austin High is literally in our backyard. So um, they just, it's pretty standard that they just have to come three days a week and they do their, you know, the uh, physical activity, which is rowing. Um, and then AISD has a little bit of more um, like a workbook that they also have to do. So we have a, a coach that provides a, a lesson each week and sometimes it's about like drug and alcohol abuse and sometimes it's about how to monitor your heart rate and sometimes it's about uh even more serious uh topics like suicide you know so these um coaches are educators in the sense that they're providing an actual lesson that the school district has provided and then the kids have to answer you know five or six questions and they're super strict about you know they have to be three sentences long on every, you know, so they're actually making them think about how they're providing the answer rather than just, you know, um, bullet pointing an answer or anything like that. Um, but yeah, they, so they come three days a week um, at a minimum, you know, like there, I have uh, kids on my squad, even on the varsity squad that are doing PE credit because they didn't get it through their school, um, but they're coming six days a week, you know, so they're, they're, what are the hours? when are how are these kids getting there and what are the hours of of this PE class? Yeah, so um, they they get there just like any other athlete would, you know, like maybe their parent or they or they drive themselves. We do have one school that brings a bus by um, because we have like thirty or more kids that come from that school and it is further away, um, and so they provide a bus to the rowing center just along their their bus route. And, and they drop off all the kids um, for practice, um, but then they're on their own basically for, for getting, so we, we don't really, St. Stevens, there's the one private school that provides transportation, but it's only in their third trimester, but otherwise they're just on their own like any other athlete. This is like the end of this end of the day, right? This is not like at noon, this is done at three o'clock. Yeah, it's at 5 p.m., yeah. 5 p.m. Yeah, so it's after school. What has been the success rate of getting people to continue rowing for TRC? Like what, how many kids, let's say you have 30 kids from this one school, what's the percentage continue rowing in high school and competitively? Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't done the like statistics myself. Um, I do manage the roster, like I do all the admin for the team, but um, I would say it's pretty high because I wouldn't, so back in the day, all of our novice rowers came from our recreational program. Um, but nowadays we've, we've just kind of gotten into, you can come from rec, but you can also just start fresh. And, and we just kind of sort it out. But um, a lot of the recreational rowers, they just really like to, to row. And so they'll, they'll continue year after year after year. It's actually a lot more rare that we have a kid that only rows one semester or one year. Um, I would say it's probably 10 to 15% um, that only, you know, are like a, a, a one-off. So, oh. um, but yeah, oh, but we also offer, there's a category one and a category two for PE credit. And um, the category one, if these kids are nationally ranked, so for instance, youth nationals coming up, they can apply with their school to be a category one PE student instead of category two, which gets them out of school for their last period, like they get a free period. So they're able to um, dedicate more time to the training because they're then, 
you know, um, training at a higher level than say like a recreational athlete. Okay. <laughs> Felicia, yeah. this, this, you have, you, you know, this whole like young kids say this like woke, like the woke culture. I am yeah. woke. I, <laughs> I am blown away by this concept. I absolutely love your energy and your passion. I have one last question because I think that what we're going to be doing is connecting later in helping you helping us get this out to the rest of the world, because I think that there's a lot of key things here that we want to capitalize on because we want to see the sport grow, right? Uh, my last question is, which is more challenging? A job at one of the largest companies, Whole Foods, or running a practice with a bunch of novice kids on the water? Which is harder? Tell me. Oh, geez. Um, probably running a practice with a bunch of novice kids on the water. To be honest, yeah, they're just pretty different. <laughs> it's really different, Felicia. Thank you. We are going to cut this one short uh, because you gave us something that we want to jump on later. So, Felicia, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. I have had a wonderful time learning about you, and there's much, much more that we're going to be talking about with you in the future. Thank you for doing this. Awesome. Well, thanks. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>